the words of the great theologian B.B. King, the thrill is gone. But can we get it back? Let's talk about it with Trevin Wax on Steve Brown, etc. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. Hey, we're glad you're here and that you would take an hour from your busy schedule to spend it with us. We consider it a high and holy compliment that you do that. And by the way, if you were wondering, I'm Steve, the aforementioned old white guy. Matthew Porter, our executive producer, is here, and he's recently lost a few pounds. He says that the secret is he stopped hanging out with certain ladies. Uh, Little Debbie, Betty Crocker, Sarah Lee, Aunt Jemima, and, of course, Catherine Wyatt. (laughs) Our producer, Jinx, isn't here. I don't know whether our live broadcast just did him in, but he didn't show. Actually, he's uh, busy with his business somewhere else. But I want to thank Jeans and our video director, the one-man IT department, John Myers, who is in his tech bunker. Those two guys, along with some help from some others, absolutely hit it out of the park for our live thing at Orangewood Church not too long ago. And John was dragging. He had caught some kind of jungle rot disease from And so he came with a fever and uh, did stuff that uh, you just can't believe. I've often said that Jinx and John are both demon-possessed because there's something (laughs) supernatural about what they do. Uh, So thank you, both of you, even Jinx, who's not here. For that live show last week, it was great. Dr. George Bingham is our boss. He's the president of Key Life, and he's here. Uh, And he's a true financial expert. Even when he reads the story of Exodus about the golden calf, he thinks thinks (laughs) foolish, foolish Israelites. You never put everything into gold. Eddie Wyatt is the soft feminine side of the program. Kathy is so ahead of the game, she already has her Christmas decorations up for next year. (laughs) And she does. Man, if you've been been to her house around Christmas, it's like walking into a Christmas shop. If you were small enough, you could play in their village and skate on their ice rink and... uh, decorate their Christmas trees. It is a very, very Christmassy, special place. Place you hate. What? I said, be a place you'd hate. (laughs) Yeah, well, even this old Scrooge uh, likes that kind of thing. We have a guy uh, uh, who's uh, written a great book, and this is his second or third time on Steve Brown, et cetera. Now, there are those who won't come back on the second time, 
But Trevin is a brave man, and he pointed out <laughs> to me that uh, in his book, the word adventure is there. And so he said it took up all of his courage <laughs> to show up with us again. The book, by the way, which I hold in my nicotine-stained fingers, is The Thrill of Orthodoxy, Rediscovering the Adventure of the Christian Faith. Trevin holds a Ph.D. from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He serves as Vice President of Research and Resource Development at the North American Mission Board. He's a visiting professor of theology at Cedarville University. He's a regular columnist at the Gospel Coalition and has contributed to the Washington Post, Religion News Service, Christianity Today, etc. And as I said, the uh, name of his new book is The Thrill of Orthodoxy. Uh <laughs> Trevin, what do you mean the thrill of orthodoxy, man? If 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 I'm ever in another flood, I'm going to stand on Calvin's Institutes because I know I'll stay dry. Uh, <laughs> there, there, I know that for some, it's a thrill. Uh, guys like you with PhDs, all of my doctorates are phony, so. It, you know, you really live on this kind of stuff. But are you kidding? The thrill <laughs> of orthodoxy? Well, this is one of those uh, titles that puts two words together that you don't see very often, uh, purposefully so. Um, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't think of it as a, a theologian type book uh, because you know, it's often been said, everybody's a theologian. The only question yeah. is if you're a good one or a bad one. <laughs> so the uh, we all have some view about God, who God is, what God is like, who Jesus is. You know, Jesus asks the question of his disciples, who do you say that I am? And I think all Christian theology is in some ways a response to that question. And the beautiful thing is, there's an adventure in discovering over a lifetime the depths of the answer to that question of who Jesus is and what he has That's done. Really but true, I want, isn't it? I, I, want, I want people to capture the thrill, not of doctrine on its own, but the God that all those doctrines are describing. That's what this book is about. It's to, to say we we these truths that we say we believe, uh, they, they, they really are thrilling when we really deeply consider them. You, uh, you have a really great quote in the first chapter. You said familiarity is the enemy of wonder. You want to talk about that a bit? Well, I think that's true of life, not just theology. Uh, it's, it's really easy to get bored in a world of wonders that we live in. I mean, I, I, it, you know, there's always the joke that people that live in the mountains go to the ocean for vacation and people <laughs> who live at the beach go to the mountains. And the reason is, is because we, we get so used to the beauties around us that it's almost like we have to get away and see something else so that when we come home, we see afresh our own 
our our own house, our own yard, the the beauty that's just right there in front of us. It's almost like we've got to change the scenery so we can really see the scene. And um, I think that's true of life that we lose our sense of astonishment. You know, everything's astonishing for a kid. You watch a kid. I mean, I, I used to joke by our 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 youngest son we'd we'd go to a restaurant you know a chain restaurant or something and when they bring the chips and salsa to the table or something i mean you'd think it was the first time they'd ever seen salsa you know just squealing with delight at it you know that's me um the the sad <laughs> thing about about us is that we can we can lose that sense of gratitude that sense of wonder not only with life but also with theology with christianity you know we're we're supposed to be like children when we come into the kingdom of God. And somehow we think that growing up and getting more mature means we lose that, that sense of thrill. What if growing up into the Christian faith is becoming more childlike, not childish, but childlike of just of, of wanting constantly to recapture that sense of wonder at the beauty of the gospel. No, that's particularly dangerous for you and me and the rest of the people on this program. You know, we're a religious ministry doing religious things, publishing religious books, doing religious broadcasts, talking to religious people. You know, uh, that that sometimes you got to watch because it can become boring. When I was a young pastor, I had a funeral director who paid me 25 bucks and he called me whenever he needed somebody. And I was making good money in those days. And then I realized I didn't care. I just buried another one. And our walk with Christ can get that way too, can it? Absolutely. And I think, I, you know, I think that over-familiarity, that, that sense of losing that, that, that awe and wonder at the beauty around us, it's something that is, is so easy. There are so many things we take for granted. You know, I, as a former missionary, I, there are certain things that um, come to us so easily and that are just are really marvels that when I was living elsewhere and didn't have, you know, easily accessible, drinkable water, for example, and things like that, you just don't even hardly think about here until it's gone or until something, you know, some crisis happens or until you you visit another part of the world where they don't have the same, uh, you know, the same standard of living. There are all sorts of things like that with life. And I think it's easy with us as believers who go to church and who read our Bibles and who, you know, want to pray and want to live the Christian life. I think it's very easy for us to become so familiar with the Christian faith that it doesn't wow us anymore. And that's when we become susceptible to drifting, drifting toward theological error even heresies, you know, innovative, faddish kinds of doctrines, just anything that will just give a little jolt of energy to we're our spiritual talk, life. We, That's what we've got to watch We're going to talk out. more about that when we come back. We're talking to Trevin Wax, and the book is The Thrill of Orthodoxy. And if you're having a problem with that, you're not the first one. Jesus made the observation that prophets were without honor, except in their own country. And maybe we've been hanging out in a country so long we've forgotten, we've forgotten the wow factor. And we'll continue with our discussion on the other side of the break. Don't miss a bit of it.
Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, We're talking with Trevin Wax, and his latest book is called The Thrill of Orthodoxy, Rediscovering the Adventure of the Christian Faith. If you're a new Christian, don't buy this book. You don't need it. But if you've been around for a while, and I've been around longer than anybody that I know, if you've been around for a while, this is your book, uh, because we all have a tendency. And if you're a religious professional, first, you're crazy. And secondly, you've got a major problem with this is because all you do is deal with religious stuff, and it can get really boring if you're not careful. Name of the book again is the the thrill of orthodoxy, rediscovering the adventure of the Christian faith. Trevin, it seems like sometimes in our current culture we're all like a room full of kittens, and marketers are just there with a little piece of yarn and we're like, uh, uh, uh. and it seems like that kind of mentality has sometimes uh, colored and affected Christian culture and even all the way down to, to, to theology and, and, and doctrine. Um, you know, it's almost like junk food, you know, it's like you start out with food, but you're like, let's make this the sweet sweeter. Let's make the crunch a little crunchier. Let's, let's just, push it a little bit more till it's not quite what it originally was. And um, I wondered if you could tie it back to um, the, the different ways we start drifting away from orthodoxy. And I think you're correct. It's not necessarily that we turn our shoulder and walk away. It's this subtle, like, Oh, I didn't realize how far uh, I have gotten from there. What are, what are some of the ways we, we do that? Yeah, the you know the thing about drifting is that you can do it without even recognizing it, without even realizing it. You know, uh, uh, one of the illustrations I use in the book is when you're you know you're at the you're in the ocean or at the beach and playing in the waves or something, and you look back at shore at the shore and you have that moment of realization that you think someone has taken all your stuff or something, you know, and then you <laughs> then you realize no no it's all right where I left it it's I'm the one who who drifted here and that. The, the whole point of that is that the currents are, are are pulling at you, whether you realize it or not. And unless you push actively against those currents, you're going to wind up drifting. And, and I do think that happens in a few ways. I mean, one of them is the way you talked about there where you just, it's just easy to get into a rut, to a routine, you know, to just not feel much. 
when we're, you know, just going through the motions of the Christian faith and, and we might be susceptible to wanting some kind of new or innovative practice or teaching or something that we'd be more attracted to something that just adds a little spice, you know, uh, that's one way. And another way we could drift is by um, so emphasizing what's practical, like what's immediately relevant for my day-to-day life that we, we lose any, any sense of, of, of recognizing that there are aspects of the Christian life that are beautiful that aren't, they're not immediately applicable. That's not the, that's not the point of them. That's, you know, there's aspects of worship that are not immediately relevant or practical and yet are vital to the Christian faith. So we can, we can lose a taste for doctrine, theology, Christian teaching and whatnot and drift away from sound doctrine just because we're only focused on, you know, what works, what works today, what works Monday, what works this Mm. week. Um, You know, I think a lot of people today would be susceptible to drifting because they're, they're unsettled with parts of the Christian faith. I mean, here's the deal. Christianity is real. It's enduring. It's 2000 years old. It's going to step on your toes. Jesus says things that step on your toes. There's aspects of the Christian faith that don't sit well with us. And I think having this sort of perpetual sense of unsettledness that can also lead us to want to just, you know, alter things here a bit there, shave off the edges, make things a little more palatable, a little Mm. more tasty, you know, to just there are aspects of the Christian faith that we may not like all that much so that you know we get we get used to that we we could we could be tempted to to want to adapt the christian faith rather than adapt ourselves to the christian faith Hmm. um and then and then i think we can get so focused on the impact of christianity which is glorious and good you know that just easily you see this happen with different churches you can take a good cause and ultimately you move the cross from the center and a good cause gets put in its place and i mean a good cause it could be social action, social work, social justice, political involvement, whatever it might be, just slowly but surely it's the impact of Christianity begins to be at the center of your focus rather than what we actually believe about Christianity, what we believe to be true. And I think these are all just different ways that unless we're unless we're really focused, we can easily drift drift toward theological error. Does somebody else have to point that out to us or is that the Holy Spirit's business? You know, I think the Holy Spirit can use other people to do that. I, I, sometimes it's other people. I mean, hopefully I, the reason I pointed out those four areas of drifting uh, in the book is because I have felt the tug of all four of those at different times in my life. I mean, honestly, in different seasons, we may all wrestle with, or we may feel the tug of a particular current or not. And I think that's why it's important to be in conversation with other believers, uh, other believers uh, around the world, I think is helpful because we sometimes, you know, an entire uh, believers in a particular country can drift in a particular direction. We need, we need the worldwide church to be, you know, in our ear. And then also just being in connection with, you know, believers throughout church history, seeing what they, sometimes the temptations of one generation aren't the exact same ones of another generation. You know, Lewis talks about having the the clean sea breeze of the centuries, you know, uh, blowing uh, so that we don't succumb to what he calls chronological snobbery, you know, mm-hmm. thinking that whatever is latest, whatever is newest, that's got to be what's best. Now, we, we, we really do need to be in, in we got to have our Bibles open before us, the, you know, the saints that have gone before us, behind us, we need the worldwide church around us. And I think that's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit can speak to us and can keep us on the right track. 
George, you might want to pose your question and then we can get an answer on the other side of the brain. Yeah. I'll, and, and it's, uh, I've, I've actually been kind of wondering how to narrow it down. You, you touched on some of it, but kind of as, as an extension of that, uh, talking more specifically about the church. I mean, it's the church gets criticized all the time. You know, you're not this, you're too much that you're back and forth. Uh, and you kind of adapted, um, or abbreviated one of your your quotes, it's boring to adapt Christian faith to better fit people. What's exciting is to adapt people to better fit the Christian faith. And I guess I'd be interested in you talking a little more specifically about the role of the church in in reinforcing uh, orthodoxy and, and people's understanding. I mean, uh, we've, we've drifted into a lot of that, you know, seeker friendly, um, kind of trying to orient our service to people feeling comfortable and so forth. And, um, what, what role does the church have in, in that, in reinforcing the orthodoxy? I'm going to let, uh, I'm going to let that go into the next, uh, into the next session. Um, Trevin Wax is our guest. And this is such an important book. It's uh, an important book for the church. And especially the question that George just asked and the part the church plays in that. But it's especially uh, important for all of us. And especially for somebody like me. I don't want in this late stage to be bored with the faith that I've believed all of my life. Don't go anywhere. From Key Life comes two mini books. What do you do for a living? And Life After Retirement. What Do You Do for a Living by Justin Holcomb addresses the problem of defining ourselves by what we do and how we perform in our work instead of by who we know, a gracious, loving God who defines who we are. Life After Retirement by Steve Brown examines how those transitioning from work to retirement often experience a loss of purpose in life and how the quest for personal significance can best be answered by God's radical grace, love, and purpose for our lives sufficient to carry us through this transition. What Do You Do for a Living and Life After Retirement can help guide people struggling with either work or retirement. These two Key Life mini-books are available through keylife.org for a donation of $6. Trevin Wax. You can keep up with him if you want at TrevinWax.com on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trevin Wax. And that's T R E V I N W A X. Trevin, before the break, I had uh, was asking you uh, if you would comment about the role of the church in. reinforcing orthodoxy and and uh, and maybe also another dimension we were talking about um 
during the break that uh, a description of evangelicalism often includes, um, you know, an emphasis on the individual's uh, experience with God versus more of a corporate or um, part of the church experience and the worship experience there. But if you could comment on those. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm an evangelical who is grateful for the emphasis on our, our personal connection to God, the personal relationship with Jesus that, that we are to have. Um, the, the, the flip side to that emphasis can sometimes be an overemphasis on individualism in the Christian faith without really as much of a role for the church. And that individualistic understanding of Christianity can wind up leading to something that I consider to be rather boring. And the reason why it's boring is because all around us in the West, in North America in particular, we have all sorts of people who have all kinds of personal privatized spiritual beliefs. I mean, you've got people doing wellness rituals, you've got people doing meditation apps, you've got, you know, the rise of certain new age things, you've got uh, workout exercise type things, you've got people cobbling together various aspects of different religions, you know, and sort of their own personal privatized religion that's really all about my truth or your truth and not really the truth. And I, you know, this, this sort of um, uh, move away from institutions to what uh, uh, one scholar has called intuitional religion, where it's just basically however I just want to be spiritual myself, leads to a very, very individualistic understanding of spirituality. And a lot of people who confess faith in Christ wind up taking that model that is out there in the world. They just sort of, you know, they just sort of fit it into, they fit their own version of Christianity into that sort of individualistic kind of framing. Um, but the, the, the Christian faith is much more exciting than that because it actually connects us to something much bigger than ourselves. It draws us out of ourselves. Uh, this is why we gather together corporately in worship. It's because we are called to be a community. Uh, we can't live the Christian faith alone. You can't obey the, the one another commands in the New Testament unless you're in a community with other believers. You, you really, uh, uh, one of the things that we, we confess when we um, uh, say a creed together is that we're saying uh, what we believe in together. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're saying our Father in heaven, you know, when we when we worship together, we're lifting our voices together to to sing uh, what is true about uh, about Jesus. So, um, so the church is vital for the Christian life. It's not just some sort of option that you can add on. Uh, it's not an afterthought in the purposes of God. And uh, if if we're going to maintain our hold on orthodoxy, it's also because there's going to be an orthodox, you know, a, a theologically. Uh, um, uh, truthful church that's holding on to us. Do hmm. you talk about that in the book as, um, well, you talk about, you, you're making the case that orthodoxy is actually exciting, um, but the converse is that what you think is exciting with this new stuff is actually quite boring. And 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 I love the way you put it in the book. You're like, it's like somebody being fascinated with the thermostat because as you're cobbling this together, your only ultimate aim is to make yourself comfortable. And you're like, wow, that's, wow, that's so lame. (laughs) Talk talk about that a little bit. 
Yeah, it's the difference between the air, you know living in an air conditioned house that's perfectly tailored to your own comfort versus having to be outside where the real weather is going on. Now, you know, a lot of people want their Christianity to be the air conditioned house. And look, I like comfort too. I'm thankful for air conditioning. <laughs> I live in the South, you know, like I'm glad that we have air conditioning. But the adventure of orthodoxy of Christianity is that you, I mean, nobody talks about my weather and your weather. They have to deal with the weather because it just is right. Like a hurricane comes through, as you guys know, you have to deal with it. And I feel like that's the adventure of orthodoxy is that it's something that's there. It's not something you invented. It's not something you cobbled together. It's not something you perfectly tailored to your own preferences. Uh, it may, it, it, the, the reason it's an adventure is because it's not suited to your preferences. Um, and so you just, you have to deal with something that's actually true. That's outside of yourself. It'd be true whether or not you even lived. It's true, <laughs> whether you think it's true or not, you know, that's, that's really where the adventure is. It's not in tailoring the, the, your faith to be perfectly suited to your preferences and comfort. It's actually having to come into an encounter with something that's really there that's where the adventure is. And that's why we need the, the church around the world, the church throughout history. We need the Bible to step on our toes. This is the beauty of orthodoxy. It constrains us in those very places where we'd be most likely to go astray. Oh, uh, Trevin, that is so good. I can hardly stand it. It's <laughs> so good to have somebody say these. I might dance. <laughs> Presbyterians don't do that sort of thing. Or speak in tongues. We do that even less. That'd be uncomfortable for us to watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we're going to follow up on more excitement on the other side of the break. Don't you dare touch that dial. Because like Jesus, we're going to come right back. was irritated when the electricity went out. No television, no music, no Netflix. Then he discovered that the battery on his smartphone was dead. He decided to make some coffee, but when he went to the kitchen, he realized that without electricity, he couldn't even do that. Then he noticed his wife in the kitchen, and he sat down and talked to her. He said later, you know... She seemed like a very nice lady. I know, I know, technology's good, but sometimes go talk to somebody face to face. You might be surprised how nice and real they are. It's messy sometimes, but Jesus would like it. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. Hey, we're so glad you're here. We're talking with Trevin Wax and his book. And you got to get this book because we all suffer from this disease at one time or another, except those who lie about it. And uh, it's uh, it's um, it's a serious problem. 
and the name of the book is The Thrill of Orthodoxy, Rediscovering the Adventure of the Christian Faith. Trevin, in, in the last couple of years, I, um, I joined uh, a new church that uh, a different denomination than I had ever been uh, in, in my lifetime. And uh, there's a lot of uh, lit, uh, a good bit of liturgy and um, a much more, um, you know, everybody uses the terms traditional style service, contemporary style. Uh, this particular serv- services that I go to are, are more of a traditional style. So you have some of those elements and the hymns and, you know, that kind of thing, which I'm, which I'm really, really enjoying. But um, one of the things that I think happened as a result of the pandemic and everybody's, and it was a very good desire to want to keep people involved was to do everything online. And, um, and so I feel like a large number of people, even though the pandemic is, is essentially pretty much over. Uh, people are adapting that as, um, you know, I don't really have to do it. When, and when you were saying, you know, like the Lord's Prayer, our Father, um, et cetera, you know, you can do that um, at home by yourself. Um, you can watch people. Uh, some churches even encourage people to go get a cracker and a glass of water or whatever to do communion at home when they're doing it. But it's, it, it's not the same as participating and, and being a, a part. And, and yet I actually have a friend who's a pastor who made the statement that as a result of the pandemic church in the future has changed and we need to begin to adapt to reaching people and ministering to people online. Um, that makes me a little not so happy. Um, can you can you kind of follow up, given what you're talking about here with orthodoxy and what George alluded to with the questions about the church? Yeah, this a, a lot. There's a lot to unpack there. Of I, I mean, we do we do have to to do whatever we can to reach people where they're at. So if there are people that are only interested in doing things online or whatever, I think we can at least start there with people. But I think we'd be doing ourselves a disservice and not really following what scripture teaches if that's where we end with people. If we were to assume that online church, whatever that is, is somehow uh, going to be the same as 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 being together in worship. And and the reason, I mean, there's a lot that's that that's happening culturally that makes that a a plausible path for many people. One is that we are just formed as consumers. We already think of ourselves as consumers. And so a lot of us attend church, whether we realize it or not, we attend church with the mindset of what's the church going to do for me? How is it going to meet my needs and my preferences? We don't think of ourselves as attending church because we're part of a body in which we serve. We tend to think of church as a place we go in order to receive services that we can consume. And so there's that. Then there's also, I I think, especially in evangelical churches, sometimes we have the mindset that church and preaching and teaching and singing, it's all really about the information. So if we just can download the information, listen to the podcast of the preaching on our, you know, during the week or watch it online, or maybe sing some songs on our own, we're getting the same stuff as if 
you know, as if church is a vitamin that you, <laughs> that you go in and that you could just package up differently and take with you on, on the road. And whereas I would, I'm thankful for the fact that there are live streaming services. I'm thankful for the fact that there are elderly people that have a hard time getting to church or immunocompromised people that, that that's at least something that gives them a sense of connection, but um, baptism, the Lord's supper, Mm -hmm. um, are singing together, are serving each other. These are all things that can only be done in proximity to one another. You're not baptizing through the internet. You're not really taking Lord's Supper through the internet. I'm sorry. Like you, these are the, 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 the Christian faith is earthy. It's earthy in a good way. It's physical. The word became flesh uh, you know, that I, I think we're, we, sometimes we're, we're, we're taking the, the truth that the word became flesh and we're, we're pretending that the flesh can just become only word. And that's not, that's not what, what actually, uh, true Christianity calls us to Hebrews talks about not giving up the, the habit of gathering together. Uh, that's vitally important for the Christian life to be lived the way that the Bible teaches. So again, I'm not down on live streaming services. Um, but I would say I would simply say meet people where they're at. But if we're going to give people a full orb view of what Christianity is, we're going to have to do that together. Yeah. Man. Good stuff. Wow. You know, we, we and your book does get into remedies. So you may be uh, and we didn't get into that much in this hour. Probably should do it. <laughs> excuse me, another hour. This has something to do with what the father's called a CBA, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. this is not a new problem. No, that, that, um, that, that is a, that problem of a spiritual apathy that can just kind of set in. It's one that every generation deals with. And what I think every generation needs is to recapture a sense of wonder and awe at the beautiful truth that we believe. It's where we live in this time right now, I think, where it's easy to lose our confidence in, in not only the truth of the Christian faith, but in the goodness of God, the goodness of the Christian faith. And so uh, this is a this is a book where I yeah, I'm, I'm definitely pointing to a bunch of different remedies and ways. But one of the things I just want to show, not just tell through the book, is to show that heresy is boring and more narrow minded than orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is always about both ands, you know, Jesus is both God and man, you know, heresy wants to, 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 to take one of those aspects. The docetists say he's just God in the form of a man, but not really man. You know, the Arians say that Jesus really is, he's, he's exalted, but he's really just a creature, you know, like, uh, they're always taking one aspect of the, of the truth and leaving aside the other. And then that leads to, to, uh, uh to heresy and to error. Whereas Christianity is all about these electrifying paradoxes at the heart of the Christian faith that you've got to hold them together. And what I want to show people in the book is that this is where the excitement is. This oh, is man. where the excitement is. Trevin, you're a delight and you're more than that. You're a gift to the church and uh, we're glad for you. And uh, you always have a mic sitting on the table. Uh, of Steve Brown, etc. And I hope we can do this again. And I hope you keep writing these kinds of books. 
The name of the book, by the way, is The Thrill of Orthodoxy, Rediscovering the Adventure of the Christian Faith. And uh, we're going to come back for a short time, tell you who we're going to do it unto next week. And as I always say, and as you always are, you will be amazed. Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Hey, it's uh, what a great hour. Uh, some things uh, to talk about. By the way, thanks for helping us grow our Key Life YouTube channel. Man, that thing is really going gangbusters. And if you haven't checked it out yet, just go to youtube.com slash Network. And while you're there, be sure and check out our last week's live episode. That was uh, that was different. Was and fun. it was so much was fun. fun. And you'll that enjoy was fun. It. And uh, this hour with um, uh, with this young man, uh, Trevin is wax. It's just a delight. We're going to try and have him back again. And he is referring to something that we all deal with and me more than others. It is so easy when you do what I do all the time to fall into an apathy, uh, a boredom. I've done that before. I've done that before over and over and over again. And it's one of the seven deadly sins, believe it or not. Uh, The monastic community named them, and uh, all of us experience somewhat all of the seven. But one of them is acedia. And they sometimes translate that as laziness or sloth. That's a mistranslation. What we've been talking about on this hour is uh, acedia. It's an, it's an apathy and a boredom that can come in, and Satan loves to use it. So get on your knees and say, Lord, restore the way I felt the first time I met you. Remind me of the darkness from which I came. Remind me of who you are and your love. And Father, when I get bored with it, slap me up the side of the head with a two-by-four. 
because that's not where I want to go. Great hour. Good thoughts. Kathy, who's going to be on next week? Well, next week, we are going to finally answer the age-old question that parents and sometimes non-parents ask all the time, um, where do babies come from? With Justin and Lindsay Holcomb, God made babies. And, um, and I say sometimes people that are not parents, because I experienced that one time, Dr. Brown, when your children were very small and you and your wife were out of town and I was staying with them and one who will remain nameless asked me where (laughs) babies came from. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Who, of course, told them this story. Hey, guys. We're out of here, but we're going to come back next week, same time, same place. And it's our fond hope that you join us. Between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't. That gives you a wide, wide berth. Did you you remember that? No, that is an awful place to find yourself.